0: chaotic, exuberant film about multi-dimensional travel and family relationships just scooped the Oscars. A lot of people loved Everything Everywhere all at once, but others thought it lacked artistic merit. For me, that raises the question of how we judge artistic works anyway. Aren't our choices really subjective and based on our life experiences and the, the cultural assumptions inherent in us? What do the winners of the Oscars, the Grammys, the Logies, the Booker Prize say about the times we're living in? and the people in power. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Do you think we can judge what is good or bad in the realm of art, whether it's film or another field? Do you think art can ever really be competitive? Whether it's, you know, in art, in books, in film, Eurovision, what even would you call that? Ari Mattis is Assistant Dean and Lecturer in Media and Communications and English Literature at the University of Notre Dame. He writes the Conversations Monthly Film Column. Ari, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. And Manyo Bobo is a pop culture journalist for ABC News Digital. She's author of the book Hip Hop and Hymns. Manyo welcome.
1: Hello, so great to be here. Really,
0: really fascinated by this uh, this idea today. I, I'm not a big Oscars watcher. I do like cruise the red carpet uh, photos afterwards. But it, it, I never really kind of sat down and thought about what this means for what we value as a society. Um, Manya, I'll start with you. What do you think about yesterday's winners? What do they say about us?
1: Well, yesterday we had Michelle Yeoh win Best Actress and... It was interesting because when she got up to do her speech she mentioned the fact that women who are told they're past their prime shouldn't listen to those who are telling them that so that was a very good message for the public she also said that people that look like her don't usually get recognized in this way she said that in a roundabout way sort of thing but what the what the point she was making is that she was the first Asian woman to win this award. So what that says about our society, you could, <laughs> you could have a guess. But oh, Yeah, I mean, do we see that as a
0: win for representation? Yay, Oscars.
1: <laughs> well, yes, it, it, it is, really. And it was interesting because Ki-Hu Kwan, who won Best Supporting Actor, He was saying that he had been born into a refugee camp and he had some success when he was quite young. He was in Indiana Jones, but then it's been a long time between that and getting an Oscar. And so I think what that says is that maybe we're, we're progressing in a way, in society, but I think we still have a long, long way to go.
0: Yeah, I did see a, a stat that said, you know, 89% of nominations at the Oscars went to white people, 70% of nominations went to men. Um, so you feel, manyo that it, it is progress uh, that, that we can kind of read from who gets a gong that the Oscars judges are saying, yes, we're working on our representation.
1: Yes, but then you also have to look at who didn't even get nominated. Mm-hmm. So you've got movies like Till. So that's about Emmett Till, the 14-year-old who was lynched back in, the, in Mississippi back in, you know, the early in, in the 1900s. And basically that was done by a black director a black female director. You've got a movie like The Woman King also had a black female director. Neither of those films were nominated. I've seen both films. Both films were excellent as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I mean, Till, what an, what an incredible story to to work with. So I feel like Yes, we may be moving forward in some instances. So you had a black woman win costume for Black Panther, Ruth Carter. And she actually said, you know, she made reference to the fact that she is a strong black woman who won this award. So, yes, we are progressing. But then you've got to look at the examples of where we're not progressing as well.
2: Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say, um, you know, representation is important for kind of individuals very much. But the, but as Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. So what I'm always interested in is who actually controls and who owns the kind of product, who owns the movie, and where is the money going from that kind of movie? So if you look at something like every Everything Everywhere All at Once, it's owned by IAC Films. Who you know also an Expedia, they are multi-billion-dollar mega corporation, and so you know, as much as that film, um, you know representation, you know d- does have a kind of effect, um, some effect. It, it, it's often used as a kind of smoke screen to obscure where real power lies, and films are products. You know and, and uh, commodities so you know where is the actual capital flowing who owns the kind of commodity and how how does that kind of leverage their power um you know michelle Yeoh is great but um there's not really necessarily any indication that a um you know a chinese actress winning this award um will have any effect on you know the actual power of chinese people in america
0: Manya, what are your thoughts on that idea? That do you think uh, the the visual image and the audio of Michelle Yeoh saying this is a beacon of hope is going to change things in the future? Dep- you know, will it would it affect what kind of films get made and who's in them?
1: I absolutely think it makes a difference. I mean, you look at things like Crazy Rich Asians, Black Panther, Get Out. You know, these are movies that impact the communities that are displayed on screen. You know, I watched Get Out and I thought, yes, you know, <laughs> this is something I can relate to. And then you've got, you know, the director making more movies as a result of the success of Get Out. And that means you're employing more actors of colour. And this is about what we see as an audience, more so than who controls Hollywood, because that's a fight we're never going to win. This is about what we see on the screen. And when we get to see people that look like us, for someone like me, it makes a huge Im- impact. It makes a big difference as far as I'm concerned. I think,
2: um, yeah, yeah. I, I think the issue, like I totally agree with you, but I think the issue is, um, you know, in many respects, the world's more unequal now than it was 50 years ago, if you actually look at it. And so if you chart, I think what can happen is um, for kind of white middle-class people, representation can become a kind of tokenistic thing that means that they don't actually think about or engage with or contest the actual kind of power relations and who's actually controlling um, you know, media and that kind of stuff. So, I think it can, like, like it can have um, the effect of kind of almost an ideological effect in that it allows people to be complacent and, and feel kind of comfortable and good about actual, you know, horrific kind of inequality that exists. So... I, I think it can do that
0: mm. Really interesting text coming in us too We're speaking with Manyo Bobo and Ari Mattis Marnia is the pop culture journalist for ABC News Digital And author of Hip Hop and Hymns And Ari Mattis is Assistant Dean and Lecturer in Media and Communications And English Literature at the University of Notre Dame uh, How can people be included if they're not there to begin with Says one text, i.e. black women directors How many are there uh, in the first place? Surely it starts with encouraging people into the field Another says, sixth straight man who wins an Oscar for playing a gay man. A comment on uh, some of the the kind of uh, acting, casting choices that get made. Uh, and another says, this discussion is assuming the Oscars reflect humanity. They reflect the USA industry. Michelle Yeoh is and has been for years widely acclaimed across Asia, a much larger population. Well, what do you think? I mean, what do you take away from the winners and losers and glaring omissions in any given oscars year if you're watching do you think wow we are making progress or do you think this is completely irrelevant or do you think you know that's a really interesting comment on where the power is and where the money is in our society just a a quick follow-up to that text does the lack of nominations for women and people of color in any way reflect the representation in the industry are they missing out on opportunities to work and and thus be nominated and win
1: It absolutely makes a difference. So if you've got visibility, you'll get more work, basically. It's that basic. So you've got, you know, we had the hashtag not so long ago, Oscars so white, where all the nominees for the major awards were white. And so I think that if people aren't being given opportunities then they're not going to make great content. And if they're not making great content, then they're not going to be recognised for awards. But you do have people making great content who don't get a look in. And those were the movies that I mentioned earlier, things like Till and The Woman King.
0: Indeed. Uh, Rhoda's called in uh, to have a chat about this on Life Matters on 1300 225576. Rhoda, welcome to you. What are your thoughts?
3: Oh, good morning. Wonderful conversation. I uh, look at the Oscars and I see that there is a discussion about uh, African-American and Asian and various other people of colour. But I think we have to rewind and remember that we very rarely see a nomination from some of the extraordinary filmmakers who are the first peoples of America.
0: That's an interesting point. So you'd like to see even greater efforts towards um, representation and inclusion?
3: Absolutely. I think, you know, when you have a story that has a Native American that's told by them and when you think of the work that Sundance has done over the last 30 years of developing their filmmakers, they rarely get a voice.
0: And Rhoda, I mean, you're, you're an actor, you're in the industry. What are your, What's your sense of how things are going in Australia when it comes to recognition and inclusion and representation?
3: Look, I think we have an incredible model in Australia and we really have to thank the AFC when they first started the Indigenous unit with Wal Saunders. But we've had a model that's operated for close to 40 years now and we're starting to see the development of great filmmakers, whether they're DOPs, directors, writers. And I think that's the difference when we look at a film that comes from that experience by that person or those communities. It's a very different story as to when we're seeing something that we throw a few blackfellas in a film just to tick the box.
0: Well, it feels like in the last decade or two, there has been an incredible uh, number of really good Indigenous actors, you know, across film and TV and theatre. Do you feel that they're getting enough recognition and are there enough opportunities for all the young Indigenous actors coming up or, or is this just kind of the tip of the iceberg, what we're seeing on the screens?
3: Look, I think this is uh, uh, the awakening, really. I think trying to cast young Aboriginal artists these days is difficult because everyone is working, which is phenomenal. I think the big step we need to ensure now is that our training grounds have spaces for the next generation of artists because we have some incredibly skilled Um, filmmakers, you know, from Rachel Perkins to Warwick Thornton and so forth. And now we have another generation coming through who need to excel as well. And we have to rely on those training grounds to give them that step into the industry. Um, But yeah, if you were ever going to be a, an Aboriginal performer, writer, director these days, now is the time. There's an extraordinary catalyst of work out there.
0: Yeah, and as you say, the pipeline is important. Rhoda, thanks for calling in. No problem at all. Thank you. You're listening to Life Matters here on ABC RN, and I'd love to hear your thoughts too on the whole system of awards, uh, not awards ceremonies, the the kind of awards system, whether it's uh, ranking or judging whatever kind of artwork. Do you think it's a useful thing? Do you think it's about saying this is the best uh, item of its type in this field, in this year, in this decade. Uh, that pipeline issue is really interesting. Ari Mattis, what are your thoughts about how inclusive the, the uh, educational institutions are in, in making sure that people from all kinds of backgrounds have enough opportunities to get to those top rankings eventually?
2: Uh, I think there, there's definitely work trying to move in, in the direction of becoming more inclusive um so and and opening up more opportunities within universities and film schools and through you know like the, the caller mentioned the AFC and kind of film making scholarships and that kind of stuff um, so that's you know the, that's good i think it's it's really tricky though when you're talking about again commercial media because so much is like any advertisement you know the popularity of the, like what the thing does will reflect how popular it will be so, you know, as society changes, as cultural values shift and, and change, um, things begin to kind of look different as as a way of kind of capitalizing upon that. Um, so, you, you know, it's become like a kind of standard thing for corporations and, and, and um, companies and commercials to kind of um, co-opt or capitalize upon any social movement that they think will increase their kind of revenue, basically. Um, so... I don't know. It's it's just tricky to kind of only only focus on um, the the kind of aspect of what we're seeing, and, and without thinking enough about you know where actual the actual power kind of lies and, and and who is controlling what we're kind of seeing
0: that is a really interesting thing isn't it the, the, the how do you influence the judge's decisions Manya Bobo in the social media era there's been lots of vocal campaigning and backlash and commentary uh, from audiences you mentioned the hashtag Oscars so wide but also kind of surprise entrants who've leveraged big social media and and kind of industry influence campaigns and and kind of into categories that they might not have been expected to. Uh, is that a problem, do you think?
1: I think, well, can I just bring up Rhoda's point uh, who called up earlier about Indigenous films? So in Nam, actually, next week, there will be the Birraranga Film Festival. So this is Indigenous films from across the globe. And... I think that is a really great festival and i and what I think is that these are the sorts of films that should have more eyes on them that should should be seen broadly, but it's a chance for people in Nam to get along to this festival and see the types of films that everyone should be able to see I mean there are so many great themes. Already, if you have a look at the shorts for, for these films, you know, some of them discuss issues that Indigenous people um, have gone through and not just... Um, people from Canada or from Australia, you know, there's, there are some joint issues there, but then it's also, you know, there are films about love, there are there are coming of age films, you know, there are films that have nothing to do with politics and that sort of stuff. And so I think that um, we should support, you know, the, these sorts of films and this sort of filmmaking. And if you're in NAM, um, get along to this festival for sure. But But in terms of backlash and things like that, when it comes to the Oscars and whether or not that's promoting change, I think that in some instances it does, but there are so many instances where it doesn't quite frankly.
0: Mm. Uh, call from Tom in Canberra. Tom, hello to you. Now, you've been thinking about representation a lot. What's been happening in your family?
4: What's been happening is I've got a, an 18-year-old son. I'm I'm, I'm white Australian and um, spent a, a bit of time in Japan where um, I met my wife and um, we've now got a, an 18-year-old son who's uh, grown up in Canberra. And look, I wouldn't have known this, but when Black Panther came out, he said it was just fantastic to see a, um, a non-white, um, really strong actor playing the, the lead role. And, you know, he's told me a number of times since about the age of 14 or 15 onwards, that it's just so fantastic when he sees, you know, a movie where the, the, the lead is an Asian male. Um, so... I just thought I'd kind of throw that in as anecdotal evidence that um, it really can make a a difference to to some people in the community.
0: There's an awful lot of anecdotes stacking up in that sense, Tom, thank you for your call. And I think those anecdotes are pretty well backed up by research too, that it it really, really does help if you've got visual representation, clear, strong representation of a diverse range of people to make sure that those people feel that they are included in a society, any given society. This is Life Matters. I'm really interested in reading your thoughts because I'd love to hear your straight-from-the-horse's-mouth views of these ceremonies and these awards, like the Oscars. Uh, Ashley says, Hillary, it's more about stopping exclusion as opposed to more inclusion. Inclusion might corrupt the process, says Ashley, and do we really need to keep ranking things? We'll get to that in a moment, Ashley. Another text, Observing the Emotions at the Oscars Award Ceremonies reveal, perhaps problematically, that an individual's sense of self-worth and lovableness depends heavily on external validation from others. And Julie says, Ari's right. Corporations rule. A nod to the zeitgeist pushing inclusion is a way to follow the money. I wish it was about true care. Let's take a, a little side trip for the for for a moment, Ari Mattis, and talk about this urge to pit different artistic works against each other. I mean, that is a long tradition, isn't it? Right, way back to the kind of system of artistic patronage. Is it always about status and power, as it was then? You know, my art that I fund is better than your art.
2: Uh, I think. Um yeah, you're right, and, and it goes back thousands of years. So, you know, Aristotle um, spoke about good drama as being the having the unity of action, place, and time. Um, and so, this idea that there are kind of aesthetic criteria that allow us to objectively, you know, assess the the, the merit merit of artworks relative to each other has a kind of long history. And so, I think um, I think the system of patronage very much. Um, was, was about kind of demonstrating power. But I don't think that, you know, a, awards necessarily are, are entirely about that because there are, you know, there, there it can be an argument made that whilst taste is subjective, so, you know, what I like versus what you like may be subjective, there are at any given time objective sets of objective criteria that can be used to kind of evaluate works relative to each other. What now, are that, they? They're not, like they're not universal. Yeah. They're not, they're not universal and they do change over time. So, you know, what we think of, you know, if we're in ancient Greece, we think it was really good if you if you killed lots of people, whereas, you know, we don't now. Um, so, you know, the, the objective criteria around that do kind of shift over time. Um, well, you know, I, I, I guess it depends. It depends. But I, I think, for example, that... Um, more formal or conceptual complexity is better in a kind of artwork so so more more kind of formal complexity um, also as something of a modernist I think art you know good art shocks us into a new vision of and relationship to the world it doesn't comfort us in the way that entertainment does um, you know so entertainment something that we pay for that makes us happy and and content with the status quo. You know, we pay our money so we're happy to go back to work the next day or whatever and get more money to pay for it. Whereas I think art actually makes us think about the world in a new way Um, and this has done it- and this is really effectively done at a kind of formal level.
0: Well, I was going to say, is is it uh, possible to separate the formal from the thematic? Because there's been this really long history of women's issues, however you define them, being uh, downgraded and devalued. Like, that's just one example. There are a lot of themes and issues that have been downvalued and de- de- uh, degraded. Um, you know, it, it, for a long time, people didn't want to touch race relations, for example. Uh, but, but when you think about the, the women's kind of, uh, concerns idea they often happen in a kind of uh slower more intimate form and they're about mm. relations rather than you know car chases, for example and i mean that's that's been devalued in the canon hasn't it
2: yeah i know and, and given the given the kind of name melodrama and the melodramas have never been kind of record well haven't been very recognizing kind of um award stuff so you know the melodrama was the kind of considered to be the women's weepy film um, yeah but I think I don't know I think the the, the the form can do kind of radical things in a way that theme and, and, and content content can't um, and I think if you look at something like Jane Campion's piano that's an example of that the film itself is you know a, a fairly kind of run-of-the-mill melodrama but what Campion actually does in terms of um, the way the camera captures like the sexuality of the characters, um, you know, was, was pretty kind of revolutionary for a, for a mainstream film at the time.
0: Yeah. Well, I was interested too in, I mean, you you pointed out before that we should look at where the the kind of financial power is. Should commercial success be a factor for or against judging something as good? I mean, a lot of people find a film very enjoyable, pay a lot of money to go and see it in massive amounts. It does really well at the box office, but doesn't do well critically. There's often that kind of disconnect. Is that a problem?
2: Uh, No, not at all. Like, for, for for a true kind of aesthetic judgment to be made, there needs to be there needs to be nothing um, outside of it. So if you're thinking about profit when you're making an aesthetic judgment or how popular it is, then it's not a it's not a kind of bona fide a, aesthetic judgment. Um, you're thinking about something something else, like you know how effective it is or the social kind of quality of the work. Um, and I think in contemporary discourse, the aesthetic and the moral are often um, often kind of uh, mixed up in an interesting way. So you know people will assess. Whether the, the history of the production has been good or whether whether it's kind of morally good without, without necessarily thinking about um, whether it actually works as a kind of you know, book or as a film or, or whatever kind of artwork you have.
0: So then are the Oscars any good at judging what is the best art given it that, that they are so wrapped up in that studio system and that uh, system of
2: economics? Definitely not.
0: <laughs> Good answer Alright, that's Ari Maddies, uh, Declaiming on the Oscars Assistant Dean and Lecturer in Media and Communications And English Literature at the University of Notre Dame Manya Bobo is with us too She's pop culture journalist for ABC News Digital and author of Hip Hop And Hymns What do you think? Can we, can we assess Some artistic merit from things like The Oscars or the Grammys for example Manya, yeah, what do you think?
1: I absolutely agree with Ari, so I don't think we can <laughs> at all. I mean, an example from yesterday is the fact that they introduced Samuel L. Jackson as an honorary Oscar winner when he came up on stage, and it's. I, I sat there thinking, and a lot of people sat there thinking, because I went on social media just to find out, uh, Well, why does he only have an honorary Oscar? Why doesn't he have an actual Oscar? I mean, this is a man who was considered the hardest working man in Hollywood in the 1990s. And you look at some of the amazing films he's made. He was nominated for Pulp Fiction in 1995, but didn't win. And so you look to today and Pulp Fiction had an impact on culture, right? And so you you look at that and you think well is the Oscars the best judge of culture and I would say absolutely not. I mean you've got art, you've got people like Denzel Washington winning for Training Day and he really could have won for many roles that he had done previously. Training Day maybe you know it hasn't had that much of an impact on culture. So I think the Oscars quite often get it wrong. And you mentioned the Grammys there. I mean, they really get it wrong in a lot of ways. <laughs> Tell me more about that. How do they get it wrong? So I wrote an article actually for ABC Online about the fact that my article was centred on hip hop and the fact that the, the, the Grammys don't understand the global impact of hip hop because they just, they just don't get it. Because you've got them awarding artists like Macklemore, who has multiple Grammys. And then you've got people who've actually had an impact on culture. So people like Tupac, Biggie, DMX, Wu-Tang Clan, no Grammys. So Method Man has one Grammy. He's in Wu-Tang, but that Grammy wasn't for something he did with the group. And so you look at that and, you know, I think that the streets and culture itself we decide what's cool the the grammys and the oscars they're mostly catching up later on down the track but the the decisions they make at these award shows have impact so i bet you anyone who hasn't seen everything everywhere all at once and is interested in film will now go and see it so they do have in in an impact on what happens, but I, I don't think they're at the forefront of, you know, determining what's popular.
0: What are your thoughts? Do you you think these awards are useful? Can they tell you what is good art or not in in a particular field? If your field is books, ring up and tell us what you think about the book or or even the Nobel Prize If it's art, the Archibald or another art competition, can't pick another one off the top of my head, that's embarrassing On that uh, Grammys issue again, Marnio, I was thinking about the categories because I think that there's been stuff written about that too that, you know, there's that idea of the world music category and Gurum was in there, you know, because it's kind of a catch-all non-white, non-Western category. Do we need to work on the very categories that awards are nominated under?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you've got categories such as animation wasn't a category until, you know, quite recently actually, you know. So they used to, you know, animated films were awarded in other categories so they could have, could have won best picture or they could have won you know something else <laughs> but basically there was no animation category you know that only came in quite recently and so when I spoke about honorary awards earlier there was actually an honorary award given to an animator back in the day because there was no category for that so i think the categories I think they 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 do change though. So you've got the Grammys; they used to award best female artist and best male artist, and now it's just best out art, best best artist. So you know, I think that the Oscars could possibly change their categories in the future. We don't know, but categories come and go. Actually, you know, they don't; they're not static, and. There is some work to be done when it comes to particular categories, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think there's a push for a non-binary acting award rather than best actor and best actress at the moment. That idea of of whether awards influence the canon, Ari Mattis, what are your thoughts on that? Because as you heard from Mano, you know, she strongly believes that it it influences what we think of as good art. When you get lists, don't you? They've, They've won this many Oscars.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's spot on. So people do, you know, go out and see the films that are kind of nominated and then the films that win. So, um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's easy to forget that that's, that's one of the, the things film production companies would love about the Oscars is it gives them the capacity to, to, you know, stick the little nominated for 28 Oscars or one you know, 16 Oscars or whatever it is on, on their kind of product um but i think so but at the same time you know uh, manio's right as well i think there there is this sense that posterity will kind of tell what has actually been influential you know if you think about films from the 90s you're thinking of reservoir dogs or pulp fiction you know their pulp fiction i think won one oscar for screenplay but like at, at the time that was like Th- th- probably that's probably the key film of the 1990s. Um, and so we're able to kind of go back and, and retrospectively reassess um h- how these things, th- these things have had an effect, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, not to say that there isn't, there aren't kind of objective measures um at the same time, like I was saying before complexity and I think originality is also, there's something to be said for that as well. There's a reason we like Jackson Pollock's paintings, but not, you know, not necessarily the paintings of, anyone else who's kind of copied his style. Um, But also, you know, there's also the question of how works do give us pleasure. I've been speaking about entertainment and that's part of it, but, but, you know, how does a work actually move us? You know, not just emotionally, but literally how are we physically moved by cinema and literature? Hmm. And I think the body is something that, people often forget in these discussions, how, how does the film actually make our bodies feel or how does the book, how does the book kind of, you know, activate our body? And I think um, one of the kind of, uh, one of the kind of limitations of, of the cultural studies style of, of, of the representationalist argument. Um, I mean, it's valid, but one, one of the limitations is it can make rely on too literal a relationship between content, the content of a work and our kind of social alignment um, you know, films like all artworks reflect our kind of fantasies about the world and our fantasies are very often perverse. They're not kind of tied to what is morally sanctioned. So, for example, I, you know, I might absolutely love revenge films and the revenge film where, you know, 180 people get killed. I might like more than the revenge film where only eight people get killed. But, you know, I don't like revenge, actually. Revenge is horrible. You know, in in, in actual social reality, it's a terrible thing. Mm. But we're able to live out kind of fantasies um, through kind of art. So, um, I think- yeah, it's, 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 it's complicated, though, because th- th- our fantasies in turn are affected by the kind of images that we're fed and the dreams that we're kind of fed through things like Hollywood. So mm. um, it's not that one has a direct kind of effect on the other. They, they're, they're both kind of perpetually um, inflected in each other.
0: Well, and when it comes to awards, I think a lot of people are physically moved in their bodies by Too Fast, Too Furious, but it's never been on the awards list. <laughs> Let's yeah, go exactly. to Paul in Aspendale. Hi, Paul.
5: Hello, Hilary. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. Now, you've um, been involved in selecting works of art. Ooh, how do you do that?
5: Well, uh, no, Hilary, what I'm ringing about is I think the ordinary person has an inbuilt art meter. Ah. And I think, I think we should be distrustful of the so-called experts telling us what is good art and what isn't. Because I, I love going to galleries. And I went to the Art Gallery of South Australia in Adelaide. And I was shocked to see a modern sculpture which had been purchased by a lot of money and it was two dead horse skins hanging on a silver pole. Mm. And, and I was shocked by this. I thought, what a waste of money and what a stupid thing to have in an art gallery. And when I, I tried to get some opinions Uh, by the people, you know, the attendants who were there or the man who takes your backpack when you go into the gallery, you put your backpack away. And they were too scared to say anything against it because they were worried they might upset the director. And then I I wrote to the director, and of course the director wouldn't answer, but I got a letter which was full of motherhood statements about what a wonderful work of art it was. But it, it was just rubbish. So I... I think the ordinary person should stand up and say what they like and what they don't like and don't be intimidated.
0: Well, and that's the great thing about art, isn't it, Paul? You could say, I don't like it. I don't have to like it. You know, I like other things. I remember when Jeff Koons started having big artworks put around uh, significant spaces. I didn't like them. And everyone else I knew thought they were fantastic and kitsch and pop culture. And it was really interesting. And I was like, I don't like that giant puppy. I really don't <laughs> like any of his stuff. And that was fine. Uh, it's interesting, though, that, that sometimes if someone explains things, Things to you about some of the motivations behind the work. It can change your perspective, I find. I want to quickly uh, take a call from Mary, who's in Yuki from the New South Wales Northern Rivers region of New South Wales. Hi, Mary.
6: Hi, good morning. Yes, um, I wanted to talk a bit about sort of the lost opportunities that um, uh, we, you were talking about earlier with Samuel Jackson. Um, in 1987, there was a beautiful film called The Last Emperor, and um, it starred John Lone, um, who was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor, but snubbed at the Oscars, and the film itself won the Best Picture. Um, And I just wonder, had things been different back in 1987, and he was recognized and nominated for an Oscar, um, would the narrative have changed much? I would hope so. We wouldn't have to have to wait for another, what, 20, almost 30 years for um, everything everywhere all at once
0: um,
6: to break the barrier.
0: Yes, and I'm sure there are many actors who would agree with you there from Asian backgrounds. Mary, thanks for that call. And we're speaking today with Manyo Bobo, pop culture journalist for ABC News Digital and Ari Matty's assistant dean and lecturer in media and communications and English literature at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, Manyo, I want to quickly just return to the Grammys uh, for a moment because Ari mentioned before that idea of originality uh, being important in our judgment of art. But that's something where the Grammys really, you argue, falls down, doesn't it? Because it can't recognise how uh, sampling, for example, can be an original form now.
1: Yes. So a lot of hip hop does rely on samples and interpolations and that sort of thing, but it doesn't lessen the impact of that art, you know. So you've got a lot of tracks that have major impact in the communities with which they were written for but then it goes beyond that to other communities as well and I think originality I mean is anything really original Ari I mean what do you think well big question Ari I I mean I think yeah,
2: so, so formally we're always recycling stuff and that's what genre is. So we're, we're, we're adapting stuff. But, but there's still a sense that something can conceptually, um, you know, be doing something that is at least original in relationship to the kind of zeitgeist in which it's appearing or, or, or kind of crossing a cut that so across that. So with hip hop, for example, you'd say, some, I don't know, Grandmaster Flash or something like that. They might be sampling stuff, but they're, they're sh- staggeringly original you know when they kind of appear. So I think um I think it's not about necessarily how original the form is necessarily but uh, but the kind of concept and the and the way it's like positioned in relationship to to the kind of culture.
1: And with hip hop, I mean that turns 50 years this year. So hip hop will be celebrating its 50th anniversary. And when you think about that, that's it's only been around for 50 years. That's not a lot of time. And the impact it's had in that time, I mean, in the United States, it's the number one listened to music genre in the world. It, it overtook country music to become that. And around the world, it's so influential as well. So I think when we're talking about originality, you've got to take into, the, take into account the fact that these are original forms of music Anyway, (laughs) so whether they rely on samples or not...
0: Some really interesting texts I want to run past you uh, as we draw this discussion to a close. Arts degrees are all about frameworks for assessments, says one. History and criticism of literature and art. It's definitely not all subjective, which is one of the themes underlying this chat today. Another says, rejudging judging the Oscars, no one debates the absolute beauty merit of Mona Lisa or the writing of Shakespeare. The problems begin when other criteria like colour or gender of artists involved are brought into the picture. Of judging, there are uh, there are not many awarded women or black artists because perhaps there are not many who produce the great art. Let's unpick that for a bit because I mean Ari, the the idea that there's a kind of absolute consensus on the artistic merit of Shakespeare and the Mona Lisa does that say something about? Where that canon was produced and who was in charge of the history books, or can you say those artworks kind of outrank other forms?
2: Look, uh, there'd be a question about whether there is absolute consensus about the, the the genius of Shakespeare. You know, if I if I spoke to my four year old son, for example, he might not think that it's that it that it's Shakespeare is a work of genius. Or if I spoke to people who can't read or speak English, then they also would not. Necessarily think that, so it's it's definitely not universal. But look, I think there are there are certain kind of um, writers or painters or musicians who come along who do have a particular kind of genius. Um, and even if obviously that's occurring within a kind of context that supports it, and then there are, there are probably other geniuses who could have emerged in that context who didn't because of. The way power was working at the time that isn't to diminish the kind of objective brilliance of particular you know strains of kind of culture so you know mozart for example um is is a kind of un, unparallelable musician um in terms of what he was doing and and, and the age at, at which he was doing it so i like i agree that there there isn't like absolute kind of it isn't absolutely subjective. There are kind of objective criteria, but these criteria definitely change across time. Um, and I think with the example of that the that the, the the text said that you know there aren't you know black um, women don't make kind of great art. Um, you know that's just the, the, that that perhaps historically. That, that has tended to be the case but that's about other things other than you know kind of genius that's about the social structure it's about whether they're being supported you know if you go back 150 years um it's it's not that easy to find a black american writer for example um you know who who, who has the kind of effortlessness of a melville or a nathaniel hawthorne or someone like that but that's not because that wasn't possible. It's because the social structure was arranged so that, you know, black people weren't educated in America. They they, they weren't, you know, the, they, there were all of these other things in place that that, that are a are kind of stake. So, hmm. uh, you know, so I think we can kind of sometimes confuse moral evaluations with aesthetic evaluations, but, but in the context of of the idea that they just weren't kind of great, you know, they weren't great women artists or whatever. I mean, it's just it's just not true. There were, but they weren't kind of fostered and they weren't celebrated and they probably didn't make as you know, Artemisia Gentileschi doesn't doesn't do as many kind of masterpieces as Caravaggio. It's not because mm. she couldn't, it's because she wasn't kind of fostered to, to, to be able to.
0: Yeah, leisure is an important prerequisite for making art. Victoria's called in from, let me get this right, Victoria, Garagan meat. <laughs> always, always
7: um, people. It's Durangameet. Durangameat. thank you. And it's Gulligan, governmented country, and it means place of the black cockatoo.
0: Aha, uh-huh. and what did uh-huh. you like? To tell us today
7: oh. Oh, Well that chap just opened A million conversation threads That I'd like to answer uh, uh, Their eyes were watching God I'm reading at the moment uh, Zora Neale Hurston uh, Black um, uh, African American Uh, a long time ago has uh, come back into people's uh, vision and that's the thing you see, uh, things come and go. Now what I originally wanted to talk about is it has always absolutely astonished and amazed me how David Gulpil never came into the sightline of the academy and when that happened and it continued to happen I just lost faith in them really.
0: So that's it. That's it for you. You you, you can't uh, watch them and, and have any confidence that they're picking the best.
7: No, no. I mean, it's 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 always um, subjective, and it always will be subjective. And the chap that went into the museum and saw the horse skins, he was affected, wasn't he? He didn't like it, but he was affected, and that's what art does um, in all its forms. Um, mm, but, shocks uh, you out of your to, comfort zone, that's right Yeah, yeah, absolutely and, and change your viewpoint And make you think about things in different ways um, yeah. I mean, there's a multitude of advantages yep, uh, But as, as far as the Academy is concerned You know, I mean, the year that uh, Paul Robeson uh, won For um, uh, a Thomas More film And, um, oh, what's his name? A guy that was in On the Waterfront Um uh, oh, a, a huge career. No, no, Brando. the other chap. Harry, um, you've uh, got it, haven't you? I can't remember it. And he, anyway, he he paid a. Uh, he did a film called The um, Pornbroker. Um Oh, I do not remember oh, it my tongue. Stiger. That's it, you got it. Rod Steiger, thank you very much. Now, he didn't win that year because Paul Robeson did for, for M- Man of All Seasons. Um, but the next year they gave... Um, Um, Rod Steiger the Oscar for playing a southern cop, big-bellied, you know... chewing uh, southern cop a role that he could play with his hands tied behind
3: his back.
0: Yep, there's that Um, whole idea of the deserving, people who kind of wait around and get it eventually for something unrelated to the amazing performance that they did in a random year where someone else got it. Victoria, thank you. I think you've you've really tied together a lot of the things we've been discussing today and I wish we could talk for longer but the news is rolling towards us inexorably. Thank you both so much for discussing this in some depth today. It's been really fascinating. Ari Matty's a Manya Bobo Thank you so much.
2: Thanks. I just want to leave you with a um, confession. Neither Mm -hmm. of us liked everything everywhere all at once,
0: (laughs) and that is okay. It's like the two horse
1: skins.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, enough time. The cliche. I'm going to go and see it now. (laughs) Look, it's been great. Thanks for chatting. Ari Maddox is assistant dean and lecturer in media and communications and English literature at the University of Notre Dame. He writes the Conversations monthly film column. And Manya Bobo is a pop culture journalist for ABC News Digital. Her book's called Called Hip Hop and Hymns, and the Screen Show has an Oscars special, the Oscars Buzz module on the ABC Listen app. I want to mention that film festival that manyo mentioned too, the Biraranga Film Festival. If you're in Arm Melbourne, that is happening this week. Many, many texts on this topic coming in throughout our discussion. Uh, This is the first. It's very important that white people see people of colour in film and TV, and especially in positions of power. It normalises these things for people stuck in a racist mindset. Another on the, the idea of representation. Years ago, a nominee who didn't win said when asked if they were disappointed, something like, I get it, this was the year for the black artists. Occasionally, the winner is someone who is a poor actor, says another text. Is this because they win the award to be more marketable? Wow, I guess if they had a choice about winning the award, they certainly would win it to be more marketable, wouldn't they? Another says, no discussion of the fact that both big winners are on Netflix. Good point. And Barbara says, and there's all the art that will never be seen and end up in a skip. These awards give us a false idea of creativity and where it happens. Competition and creativity, says Barbara don't really work.
2: Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.